Hello, and welcome to another episode of Gaming Broadcast, the official podcast of GamingBroadly.com. I'm your host, Jamie Dale, the main broad over at Gaming Broadly, and today we are joined for another episode in our Playing Appalachia series. Um, our guest today is Gerald Cullis, who is an engineer and hacker originally from Southwest Virginia. He is a PhD in electrical engineering and currently lives in Knoxville, Tennessee. He is most well-known online as King Lemming, head of team at COFH, and the co-creator of Thermal Expansion, which is a popular mod for Minecraft. So hi, Gerald. What's up? Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> enjoying, uh, enjoying this delightful, dreary Austin day. <laughs> yeah, we have the same thing here. It's raining. It's wonderful. <laughs> I know. There's no better time to sit in a dark room in headphones and talk to strangers on the internet. Yeah, I mean, that's you know, <laughs> basically what I do. So. <laughs> Awesome. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, as you as you know, and probably our listeners do as well, we're like deep in our Appalachia series. And I'm actually super excited to interview you because you're kind of this weird, interesting combination of both programmer and player. Because I find modding to be somewhere in between. It is. In between yeah. the two. Um, you're bridging the divide. Um, but before we get into modding, I'll actually just go ahead and ask about your relationship with Appalachia. Okay, so growing up there, or really not just growing up, but I'm fine with Appalachia, right? It's I live <laughs> there now. Like I don't. That's the thing. I'm not going to tell you like, oh, I hate it. I can't stand it. I can. I want to move as soon as possible. That's not the case. I actually I love Knoxville a lot. It's a lot of fun. I like living here. But growing up, uh, I'm from one of those really small towns, like four or five thousand people. So it's not like way out in the sticks. But it's still out in the sticks, right? It's sticks esque. Yeah. So it's <laughs> it's one of those like sure it's a town, but you're like you're a little bit in the past, right? It's like four or five years past. Uh, it's getting better with the internet, like Amazon delivers there, of course. But <laughs> it's just by drone yet, or still by, uh, by not car? by drone, but it might be cheaper. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's a. Uh, so I, I grew up in this small town, and it's it's only later I realized, like, wow, this place is actually really dysfunctional. Like, this county is weird, and there's all these quirks and strange things. And does that make it weirder than anywhere else? I don't think so, actually. It's just everywhere is a little bit messed up. It's kind of what they say about families, like... All families are a little bit dysfunctional in their own way if you uh, hang out oh, with them yeah. long enough. <laughs> no, of course. What's like one of the most dysfunctional stories you have from the town you grew up in? Uh, so our fire department burned down. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, that was, um, you know, and that's just, and I thought about that as like, can I actually say that? And like, <laughs> people will figure out like, oh, he's from that town. Here's what I found out that's crazy. If you Google that, this is not uncommon. <laughs> so in my mind it was like oh that's really weird was it like someone was smoking a cigarette and like fell asleep no it was a freak accident like uh it was a pepsi truck uh, like at at the top of a hill because like they they put the fire department at the bottom of this big hill in the town and the pepsi truck was making a delivery up at the like general store on top or something and it was just coming down the hill and the brakes just failed so it <laughs> ran into the fire department and you know took out the engine and oh it's like God. well it's just going to sit there and burn now 
And uh, <laughs> yep, that's what happened. Now this this is actually before my time. So I mean, I can tell that story, um, and it's like, yeah, that's dysfunction. But it's not dysfunction I personally experienced because it, that happened like in the '60s, and I'm not quite that old. <sighs> yeah, it's a mess. Um, it's that that was part of Appalachia, and I was. You know, I was shielded from a lot of that. Um, so every time I, I tell people, like, I'm from here or whatever, and they go, oh, how'd you grow up? Is uh, I, for the area, I can say I was upper middle class. I mean, I always have to couch that with, like, for the area, right? Because my dad was an engineer, uh, mm-hmm. like the kind that works at a factory, not the kind that drives trains. Um, <laughs> and, well, I have to say that because we were a big railroad city. Yep. So, mm-hmm. and this was a thing, like, growing up, I remember hearing just this little thing, like, oh, yeah, we were a tertiary target for the Soviets in the Cold War. And then, you know, I thought about that recently, and I realized that's absurd. That is just, people are willing to say anything to make themselves feel like they live somewhere that's way more important than it is and if the best you've got is we're gonna get hit with a nuke you really need to rethink that the soviet union knows we exist right and on some level it's like yes there's like a bunch of trains going through the town and yes it was a big rail hub rail kind of died off i mean you know it's not as big of a thing anymore so that's so funny that your dad was an engineer because you also are an engineer. I'm assuming a different kind of engineer. Uh, yeah, he was actually aerospace. Um, and when he when he started school, spaceships and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's actually a rocket engineer. Dope. Um, and he when he started school, it was aeronautical. Yeah. And then like when he was in college, Sputnik happened, so it became aerospace. Oh man, that's so funny to like live through the switch. From, yeah, uh, uh, that's crazy. Like earthbound to spacebound. Uh, right, so cool. Uh, and I remember, um, like, I guess it's ninth grade watching um, October Sky. Yeah, you seen that? It, so yeah. like, oh my man, da- I haven't thought about that in years. Right. So like, my dad's from West Virginia, and I'm just watching the movie. It's like, oh my god, my dad's Homer Hickam. Like, I mean, it's, it's like, it's really close. It's a little bit older, but it's like, wow, that's pretty much the same thing. He's from backwater, West Virginia. Are they, uh, are their personalities similar? Um, I mean, I haven't met Homer. I come to know, but, um, he's nothing like Toby Maguire, um, from what I can tell. Um, I, I mean, I guess on some level, yeah, probably, cause they're going to, be of the same generation from the same relative poverty conditions and did your dad grow up like pretty broke in west virginia oh yeah um not like soul crushing like you know people like part of the family's always in jail poverty in west virginia like poverty is their second largest export after coal like yeah. it's really it's so bad but the people there are wonderful i i don't want to i don't want to make this sound like oh it's terrible and whatever is bad but yeah he grew up poor like um he uh i think briefly did some some coal mine work and uh my grandfather was he owned a gas station he was a mechanic and and that kind of stuff and at one point they had moved to oak ridge to help uh like everybody else looking for work during the war so he like helped out uh here at, at oak ridge making the bomb 
I mean, he was working on the trucks, right? Like he wasn't doing nuclear physics there. My grandfather, that is. Yeah. Your family's been tinkering for generations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Professional tinkers. So in terms of your mom, did she also come from that area or was she from somewhere else? So it's funny because she's a redneck or at least she, <laughs> she, well, she claims to be. But here's the, she's actually my mom's from Brazil. So she's from she's from the southeastern part of Brazil. Yeah. And that's actually the farmland. So like her father was a coffee farmer. And, you know, he had cows and chickens and all that stuff, too. So it's like there's there's a history of that down there, too. And like the if you've ever had a caipirinha, the the Brazilian Mm -hmm. drink, it's it's basically just sugar, lime and cachaça, like smashed in a glass. It's pretty good, nice. but it's called caipirinha because it means little country person, and caipira is country person. So that's like that's what mom identifies with <laughs> is that she is, is a caipira. Well, yeah, but I mean the drink is actually not bad too. But... That's so cute. That's so adorable. Oh my god! So she's from like the Appalachia, Brazil. Um, I mean yes and no. Uh, yeah. She's from a. It, it's more like in in Virginia, like the Tidewater region, I would say, or mm, something. It's okay. or maybe Piedmont's more. Pro- I don't know. It, it's like, yeah, it's a farming community, and yeah, she's from a small town and stuff, but it doesn't have the same, uh, not quite the same connotation. Because like in Brazil, you think people who are really out in the sticks or the woods, you know, they're in the jungle. And mom had this problem when she came to the country and, and told people she's from Brazil, and they all thought like, oh, you lived in a little hut by the river in the middle of the jungle. She's like, no, no, I lived in a city, like a person. I mean, like, I mean this is just what people think. Right. And uh, uh, yes, so, Brazil yeah. has huge cities. That's so weird. Oh yeah. I mean, she's not from, she's not from one of those. I mean, her city's like 10,000 people, 20,000, but it's still like, that's a city. They have amenities. They have power. They have running water. It's around a lake. It's beautiful. So, I guess that's not much different than um, sometimes when I tell people I'm from Appalachia, I think what they, they envisioned my childhood was like. Oh, right. So, yeah. So uh, you tell people you're, I'm like from rural North Carolina and they're like, oh God. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's not quite, quite what you're thinking. I mean, still in the middle of nowhere. Like we did shop wood for a furnace, but. Oh yeah. We didn't quite have that. We had a fireplace, but it's. Like, we didn't have to go out and do the, the wood chopping, necessarily. Is it a purely aesthetic fireplace? No, I mean, it was it was wood burning, but... Or, like, did it we, heat your house, or...? Oh, no, yeah, this was totally yeah. aesthetic, yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we had central heat, um, you know, running water, power, all that stuff. The, the only real shortcoming uh, in terms of infrastructure was probably uh, broadband. Mm, yeah. Like, we didn't... We had dial-up in, like, 96 is when we yes. got our first modem. And yeah, it was it was a struggle. I think they <laughs> still have dial-up. Or, it was the options were dial-up or satellite, and that was back when satellite was like total garbage. I mean, it still is kind of for like internet-related purposes. It is because like it's cloudy and then your connection slows down. Right, <laughs> like whatever. Um. Oh man, when did you um? When did you get? Did you ever get high-speed internet out there? Or? When you were living there still? Um, I think high school, we, yeah, high school we ended up with uh, DSL after a point. It was, uh, it may even have been as early as 99. Like, it was a pretty short 
window there where yeah. we were only on a 28.8 modem. But um, yeah, I mean, DSL, is that high speed? No, not really. But 768 is way better than you know any kind of dial-up. So that was pretty awesome. Yeah, you know, this nostalgia thing that gaming has, no one seems to be nostalgic for, the, like, that dial-up. <laughs> no. Like, that dial-up experience. <laughs> I still remember the sounds. It's kind of weird because, yeah, like, if I hear... <laughs> it, this kind of comes up in my job every now and then because we deal with a lot of old, ridiculous technology sometimes. But, like, I'll hear the sounds and I'll know the connection speed. And it's like, oh, that's 14.4. Wow, that's really slow. And it's just, I don't know. It's one of those, like, learned weapons-grade autism facts you keep somewhere in your head. Like, I don't know. Oh, that's so funny. I mean, so you must have done a lot of, I mean, like most people in the area. I remember doing mostly LAN parties, the local area network. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah, we... uh... So it was actually That's the really... OES of an expert, a oh, land yeah. expert. <laughs> so it, this is actually, this kind of played into to me growing up a lot. I mean, this was a big deal for me. Um, I'm an only child. So I guess my parents' philosophy, my dad jokes about this, like it's cheaper to rent siblings than to have another. <laughs> so like... <laughs> I, we would routinely, like we had this really that is nice... the best I've ever... I'm sorry, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh my God! All right, I'm going to use that um, at some point in the future. Thank you. Oh you yeah, in the no, podcast now. Oh, okay, all right. Well, we're good then. You got what you need. Cool. <laughs> all right, awesome. So you rented siblings from the yeah, from the so, friend store, right? Basically, uh, you know, I had a bunch of friends, and uh, my parents had this like a half finished basement, right? And this one room that was just a really nice large room. And it just worked out for this. So we could set up tables. We had all these folding tables and like terrible plastic chairs and whatever. And we'd all connect to a hub and yeah, play, uh, you know, like land all weekend. There was a little side room and uh, mom went out to Walmart and bought like 10 inflatable mattresses. <laughs> just, we had like a barracks and this was, this was just what we did. And dad got in on it in this. I mean, he didn't play games. He's just not his generation, but he would, uh, he would do like hot dogs or chili or something. We'd go up, we'd eat and come back and play more games. It was just fun. And, you know, the way they thought it was, yeah, one, okay, cheaper to rent than to buy. But also, um, they knew where we were and they yeah. knew we weren't getting into drugs or, or gangs or anything like that. Not that we really had a gang problem. <laughs> I mean, my hometown, we had a couple of like gang related shootings, but I mean, it, you know, it's not like an L.A. gang. It's not serious. It's just people that... There's troublemakers. That's what yeah. my mom called him. Hanging out with those troublemakers. Pretty much. <laughs> Man, I mean, that's where um, the your team COFH, that's that's related to hubs, right? That is true. Yeah. Um, so COFH was actually like the informal uh, name of the land group. And it's actually Cult of the Full Hub. Because the, the goal was always, can we fill the hub? Can we get eight people? Or, I mean, after a while, it grew to like 12, and then we had larger stuff. But initially, it started with that eight-port hub. I do like the challenge of like, can we get eight friends? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's <laughs> part of it. So the thing is, it's not just getting the people. 
because the challenge was also like we're on Windows 95 and 98. So yeah. it's like, can we actually make this work? Because this is terrible. And this is also a hub. Now, some people might think, oh, it's a hub. You mean a switch? No, I mean a hub. And the technology there is different. Hubs are really stupid. And they, they basically broadcast. There's no routing or something. So when you send something to a hub, the hub says, hey, y'all, this was just said. And then when everybody's talking back and forth, it just blasts traffic everywhere. And it's it's actually really bad. So when we made the move to a switch, it was phenomenal. Life-changing. Things things became reliable. We could actually have eight people in games consistently and have things work, and it was fun. Um, And crazy enough, if you want to buy a hub now, they're actually really expensive because they're they're used for, in in my industry, and actually doing cybersecurity work, they're used for like doing um, repeats so you can like pull stuff off the network. But since they're not really manufactured anymore as actual network equipment, yeah, they're super expensive. Oh, intriguing. So maybe that's why they haven't popped up as a nostalgic tech. Right. Oh, no. Well, it's, it's also not nostalgic because it's terrible. Right. It's, it's <laughs> Same like, as dial-up. It's, yeah, it's, it's not nostalgic in the same way like having to put a crank on the front of your car isn't nostalgic. Nobody wants that. It's, <laughs> it's kind of neat. Then you realize, oh, I'm physically turning over the engine. This is barbaric. Uh, it's it's <laughs> much neater in a museum. Right. Like, <laughs> in your day-to-day life. I mean, what kind of games were were y'all playing? Mm. We did a lot of uh, a lot of Half Life and like modded Half Life, uh, Day of Defeat, Counter Strike, um, and this was back in the day when mods like they were small enough, like there weren't a whole lot, but the ones that got big became large enough that Valve consumed them. Yeah. So you know they became actual like IPs and properties of Valve, which was cool. Um, we did a lot of that. We did uh, a lot of little um, RTS games that kind of came out. And I'm trying to remember like what what even came out. Like Command and Conquer, I think. Mm, yeah. um, and there were some offshoots. I seem to remember like Dune Two, or some some little weird thing. Um, cool. So there's a lot of these like multiplayer first person shooter type. Yeah. Yeah, we did a lot of FPS. Um, every now and then, it was just, you know, not every game was this big multiplayer ordeal. Uh, sometimes, we, like, a really cool single-player game would come out, and we'd all end up playing it and then just, like, compare progress. We were just in the same room. So, like, Baldur's Gate 2, when that came out, even though it had a multiplayer mode, that just ends up being, like, fireballs everywhere everyone dies whatever it's just it wasn't great to actually play with people but it was a great game um diablo i guess oh mm, Uh, i think uh it been diablo 2 yeah because like diablo 1 i had on uh, playstation that was diablo 2 was my jam in high school yeah it was good (laughs) were you all playing on one screen or did you have it like multiple screens down there or Oh, we all brought our computers. Like oh, everybody okay, showed it. up with their their full kit. So you're you're lugging around these at the time extremely large towers with with monitors that would break tables sometimes. <laughs> like we I mean we had people bringing like uh, a couple friends like went to to surplus auctions or something. They're like, "Yeah, I got a pallet full of Trinitrons. Like what are you going to do with that?" It's like, "Yeah, one of them might work." 
And, and it's true. Like one of them worked. So now he's got a monitor that weighs more than he does. And like trying to carry it up and down the stairs and put it on a table. And it actually did break a table at one point. Like there's still like a little bar stool under that table supporting it. It's ridiculous. You know, I've always been interested in how things work, just in general, taking things apart. And so I remember StarCraft One, yeah, figuring out like, oh, how does this kind of all fit together? How can I make maps? And I, I wanted to create things, and I didn't necessarily want to create an entire game, but I wanted to make things. So like, um, I played EverQuest, and that was a huge impact on my life. That or lack of life at the time. I don't, I don't know how you want to <laughs> interpret that, but um, it was, uh, I, I made a UI for it actually. Cause they, after some expansion, it may have been Lucklin. They, they changed it to, um, to XML basically. And they changed their front end. And I looked at that and said, Oh, well I can make this look nice now. So I did. I mean, he has a lot of time in the basement, a lot of times playing video games, but uh, yeah, just kind of a general, desire to make things it's i can't think of any specific like game that i really tore apart and got into i'm gonna edit it um as a in high school i just didn't really do that do you still play with uh your your og team cofh uh no i mean Clearly not like we used to, right? No. But, um, <laughs> you don't all have giant basements? <laughs> no. Nah, well, at this point, are land parties a thing anymore? Um, I don't think so. Because you mostly... You do online, I think, for right. the larger things. There's like couch co-ops that are making a comeback, I think. Um, We keep in touch, and we do play games sometimes. Like uh, We have a Diablo clan... And, you know, whenever there's a new season, we're on for like a few days because it's new and then just kind of dies off. Um, we have a, a perennial like WoW group or guild there that, hey, a new expansion. OK, and we'll play it for like a month. It's like, OK, well, it's the same thing. And so it's it's not <laughs> I don't know. It's like we all have jobs and lives now. So it's it's less. Uh, we got into Destiny 2 for. I don't know, three days. It's just, it's it's not great. I'm sorry. It's it's one of these, it's like Destiny. I get it. It looks really good. It's not engaging. You know, I, I really it. liked it, but all of my friends have abandoned me, um, which is why I'm downloading Monster Hunter as we speak. Yeah, like, I, I don't know what it was. So I can I have actually, friends again. I really like Destiny, and then just one day it's like, I don't like this anymore. Yep, that seems to be what happened with my friends. They just decided, like, oh, I don't want to turn this on. I don't know what happened. It's weird. Well, it starts to feel like a grind. Mm, and I mean, yeah. I get... so It's a hard balance to get, like, the Skinner box thing going there, where you get enough reward to keep the player moving. And when I, I think about that and understanding the psychology and all that now, I don't know how I ever played EverQuest. Because, <laughs> like, EverQuest was just, like, the dark souls of MMOs. I mean, it was the big one back in the day, but it was brutal. It's like, Oh, you died. You get to run back to your corpse across the continent now naked. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> Jesus, what were we thinking? This was okay. Like people, people had to take like 
a week off from their jobs to sit in a certain spot and wait for a certain thing to spawn to complete a quest. And you also had to get a bunch of your guildmates to clear out like this entire dungeon every 12 hours for the whole week. Yeah, totally. We're on board with that. No problem. That would <laughs> never happen. And what I don't understand is I was a kid, right? I played this. I was like 15, 16 and you've got, people with actual jobs and lives that were playing this in their 30s and 40s and somehow they managed it. What is thermal expansion? Uh, so at its core, it's, it's kind of like, it's considered to be a tech mod. So it's basically adding technology and automation to Minecraft. So like the idea is in Minecraft, you go and grab your pickaxe and go dig a bunch of stuff up, and then you have furnaces and you process your ore in like a, a normal furnace. You put coal in it and the ore, and you get some metal out or something like that. And you have to do that. It's a very manual process, right? Like you actually walk over to the furnace and you put everything in it, and then you take it out and you move it to the chest and things like that. And what I'm doing is providing a way to automate that process. And it kind of starts with, there's a, a power system. So it's not every individual like machine, because it's more than just a furnace, but like every individual block doesn't need you to put coal inside it. It's like you have a generator, we call it a dynamo, and you give it coal and water. It's, you know, it's steam. And then basically it makes energy and you can pump that to to different machines. And one of the objections I've had is like, well, your energy system's not realistic. And it's like, yes, I know. I have a PhD in power <laughs> systems. I am extremely aware of how unrealistic it is. And I designed it that way intentionally. And there's, there's always this small group that's like, they want on the back end. It's like, no, I want to solve systems differential equations. Like, yeah, but your processor doesn't. <laughs> like that's not that's not how it works right it's it's bad and uh it's not like i said it's not a well-coded game so it doesn't multi-thread very well at all so this isn't something we can just you know throw out there and have it do all this realistic ish power simulation no you can't do it i actually i make that argument a lot is that it it loses the minecrafty feel it pulls me out i don't like it and there are some mods that are they're typically prefaced with immersive is the name is like in the name of the mod like immersive engineering yeah. which is a good mod by all rights it's really actually well coded and it's well implemented well done but then you get into like complex ish 3d models and it's like i don't like it it doesn't feel quite right it actually looks more minecrafty than other things because they didn't go over the top of the textures and the way the textures look, it looks fine. But it still it throws you off just a little bit because you have like a pickaxe and it's this like flat two-dimensional thing which is extruded slightly to give it a 3D look. But it's clearly <laughs> just this pixelated garbage you're holding in your hand. And then you get the drill from this mod and it's like something rendered. I, it's like better looking than something you would have in Quake 2 or Quake 3. And it's like, uh, it's it's a 3D model. It looks nice, but it feels out of place. 
And that's a hard balance to, to get right. Usually when people say something is out of place, it's like one of those more realistic 3D looking games and like something like looks bad in it or like right the shadows don't work right. And it's like these games that are trying very desperately to look as, as much like real world physics as possible. So it's really funny to think of it in reverse. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm like, oh, this is too much like real life. <laughs> yeah. Because the issue as yeah, the way humans operate is not... That looks objectively good or objectively bad. It looks different. Yeah. And that that's the core of it. And it's like, it just feels not right. And that, so that's why you can still go back. I mean, it's maybe a different segue, but like I can go back and play Chrono Trigger. It, it looks great. Or any old like Super Nintendo game with pixel art looks yeah, fine. Yeah. Holds up well. It's a good game. No problem. You get into early 3D and it's like, oh, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> these didn't work real well for some reason because it's just that that gets closer to objectively ugly. Yeah, well, I'm thinking of uh, robots, right? Like we're really, really harsh on humanoid robots because we know Uncanny so Valley. intently yeah, yeah. what's out of place. Oh, yeah. No, we're, we're so good at finding differences in patterns. It's crazy. Um, but by the way, that's not like a universal on like 3d games or, or ugly, you know, early 3d because, because <laughs> here's the thing. If I go back to it, right. Like a lot of like the, the PlayStation one games that were 3d, it's like, yeah, yeah these yeah. are kind of ugly. I'm not really a fan. If I go back and I can't even think of any off the top of my head, just. I'm thinking but, maybe would, um, like 007 count as like an early 3d game. No, it, I think it does. So. Yeah, I was going to say, like, Mario. That's a little clunky. Like, yeah. I go back and play Mario 64, and it's like, this is ugly, but it's stylized in such a way that I can still play it. Like, yeah, it, yeah. it works, mm-hmm. and it's consistent, and the colors are bright, and it, it's okay, and they didn't go too far on textures. I mean, it's basically solid colors on polygons, and it worked out. Uh, like, Star Fox 64, a lot of the... Nintendo gets it right, because they style things. But it's a problem of like when you just try and push visual boundaries and you aren't quite doing it right, then it looks bad. Basically, mod is short for modification, and it's it's changing a game to behave in a, a different way. So you're you're taking a lot of what they've already built and altering it or adding on to it as you see fit it is there's questionable legality depending on the (laughs) the platform and everything else like sometimes it's cool and you know the devs don't care or it's open source and they you know have no recourse anyway or sometimes they get really mad because there's some things you shouldn't mod um like it it gives unfair advantages so when you Mm. look at like esports and things like that like starcraft modding um they were kind of okay with to a point, but like Starcraft two modding, like they're really like thou shalt use the creation kit and publish certain maps and whatever. And, you know, it, it's keeping it level for, for esports, making sure it's not unfair, like wall hacks and things like that. There's aim bots in, in counter-strike or half-life. And that's not really modding. That's just cheating. So there's like there should be a distinction there, but that's really fat, man. I had never even thought of that, but the idea of there being like a modern code of ethics in terms of what you do and do not change. Well, I mean, there's 
part of it is basically what the the developers allow you to change, what they feel yeah. is reasonable. But then there's there's also you're right a code of ethics on what you shouldn't do, and because if you are in a collaborative modding community where your mod might not be the only one active, then it's it's even a little more different. Because like with Counter Strike, if you're playing Counter Strike, that's what you are playing. Like it is the game in a sense. Yeah. And that's it. But like in in modded Minecraft, you can load up multiple things that work with each other, and then there's the general rule of hey, don't be a jerk. <laughs> it's a general life rule, but it's a good people rule. forget sometimes if you don't right. remind them. <laughs> well, and also though, because inherently you're on the internet, right? And that's yeah. that's like carte blanche to just be a jerk. That's what people. <laughs> t- oh, hey, I'm anonymous ish, so I I can completely just. Whatever I want to say. Uh, so stressful. Is modding similar to... Um, i trying to think of a word. Hacking? Yeah. Uh, okay. Do, do I mean, most people it, consider to mod something to hack it? Um, it kind of depends on how it's, how it's being done. Um, mm-hmm. So hacking as a... And I could go at length on that one. <laughs> as, as far as a word, that's well misunderstood anyway. But modding, at least what I'm doing, I'm, I'm writing code and it has an effect. Um, it's akin to programming more than hacking because at this point, there's an established interface on how I write something, how I do something. I don't have to get in and say, oh, I don't like this part of the game. I'm going to change a flag here. I'm going to edit its code and then put my own on top of it. You can do that. Um, there's actually a game that came out recently called They Are Billions. Yeah. And it, it's like this survival zombie RTS, and it's really cool. Like It's a great game. And there is a modding community. Now, the thing is, it's an alpha, right? This is like a pre-release uh, early access thing on Steam. So the devs are not happy about this. Oh. And they're like... <laughs> They are obfuscating their code. They're taking active measures to prevent people from modding the game because they're annoyed with it. They don't want this right now. And I sympathize with them. At the same time, there is a flourishing subreddit of guys who are just like, yeah, congrats on, on this latest trick. We found your, your hash. Here's how to fix it and whatever. So yeah. it's like, it's like, yeah, it's a Cold War kind of. And it, it's like... <laughs> Here's the problem is in the battle between the the devs and the pirates, the pirates win consistently every time. And in this case, it's not pirates, it's modders. But historically, yeah. like any anti-piracy provision put into a video game, nope, it's going to get defeated. The, the best one I can think of was like Sony had this really fancy one on their new PlayStation games. And it was unbreakable or whatever until somebody like got a Sharpie. And then just like drew on the disc. Because like, it's like, oh, well, if it reads this line from the CD right on the, the inner track, then it'll know, you know, if it's official or not. It's like, oh, well, let's just make that, you know, unreadable. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so people, yeah, it's, and this is, this is what I deal with in, in my job is basically, well, how do I break things? How do I upset the natural order? And, uh, yeah. That's interesting. So, are you are you brought in in your in your daytime job to like um, test things to see how to break them? Oh yeah, is it security um, stuff? Is that that's right? 
essentially what I do. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I know the, you know, it says hacker, you know, on the bio, but again, that's kind of a, it's really cybersecurity consultant, but hacker conveys it in one word and it's easy. And people have this, this notion like, Oh, Hollywood style hacker. And they go and break things. Not entirely. I just imagine you like furiously typing. Like in a dark basement. So here's like the dark basement part. You're not wrong, right? Like if if there were ever a movie about actual hackers, it would be boring. I mean, I remember would... there was that funny Vine where it had like how hackers are portrayed in movies, and it was like the furiously typing like lines of code going, and then it showed like how hacking is in real life, and it's just a guy staring at the screen going, "Hmm." Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I get sent around to places to, they ask like, hey, is, is my code secure? You know, how can you break this? You know, if we're going to put you on our network, can you touch computers that you shouldn't be able to? You know, can you get access to restricted stuff? And yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm would be considered like a white hat um, in the hacker community. It's, it's usually referred to like by hat color. So it's black hat for doing, I mean, black hat bad guys, but not, not strictly, but it's. It's like a spy versus spy. So black hat, white hat. And then there's gray hat. It, the The lines blur a little bit, but usually it's kind of offense, defense. So is black hat the idea that you are you are also trying to break things, but not necessarily uh, with permission? Right. <laughs> from now, the person that you're breaking things exactly. for? And, and when the, the field I'm in, you know, we perceive black hat as kind of the enemy. But it's it's never that simple as like they're bad guys because clearly you can have like black black hat hackers working for good purposes. So it's it's not always that easy. But yeah. So would people who are modding games that developers don't want them to mod would that be more like in the middle? Um, no, that's basically black hat. That's on <laughs> on some level you are kind of being a jerk there, but it's weird because it's like it's like the shut up and take my money type of situation mm-hmm. because it's like they bought the game right. This isn't piracy. They bought the game. They love the game and they want to make the game better, and they very actively you know they want to do this and they want to figure out how it works and how to change things up and how to make it fun. And part of the the reason the devs you know, keep them from doing this is one, you know, it's their game. They want to retain creative control, but also like when you start getting into the code, you learn some really ugly things. <laughs> like Minecraft is unquestionably one of the worst coded pieces of software in human history. <laughs> and it is succeeded despite itself. Like I was going to say, this gives us hope for, uh, for anyone who feels like maybe they're not very good at stuff. <laughs> Yeah, you too can create garbage code and make millions of dollars and be oh, yeah. mean to people on the internet if that is your desire. Uh, when did you start getting into? Was Minecraft the first thing that you started modding? Um, it's the first thing I started modding on this level. Yeah. So I, I had made things like in the StarCraft II map editor, and I'd, I'd done like little mods on that. Uh, there's a really obscure game on Steam called Fate of the World. And um, that's a game about uh, global warming or climate change, whatever we call it now. But it's basically it's it's bad existential doom, right? (laughs) And so the idea is is like, okay, well, say you're this government organization, you've got support of the whole planet, right? It's like XCOM but for climate change. 
And it's like you can uh, influence countries and change education programs and implement these defenses and stuff. Can you keep the temperature under, you know, like a three degree rise by a certain time? And you have to, to juggle all this. And there were some technologies and some things portrayed in that because it's, it's largely just a tech tree. You're advancing through years. And there were some things like I didn't agree with. It's like, this is not right. Like I work in these fields and this is not portrayed accurately. So then I, you know, kind of put them in just to see how it go. And it's like, well, the game's easier now. And on some level it's like, well, that gives me a little more hope for the future. <laughs> that maybe we, And maybe I modeled it completely wrong, but it's like, no, if you're really going to have like nuclear fusion and things like that, that's, that's more of a game changer than is being portrayed here. <laughs> and sometimes you have to lose accuracy for the sake of gameplay. And that's totally fine. With your thermal expansion, people had actually said, like, this isn't entirely accurate. And Right. Oh, yeah, all the time. Part of it is, like, I want to keep the mod, like, Minecraft-y, so that when you look at one visually, is it still the same, like, ugly-ish texture that Minecraft has? Like, it has that aesthetic of, you know, this was drawn by a guy that can't draw. And it was it was coded by a guy that can't code, and it's extremely popular. But that's okay. Um, it's but yeah, we we want to keep our machines and, and blocks and things like looking a certain way so that you can tell the function it looks nice relative to the you know the rest of the game. It looks good, but it's still not out of place. So like in Minecraft, if you see a sphere, nope, doesn't belong. And it, even though it objectively looks good, it pulls you out of the immersion. So yeah, it's it's kind of a strange thing. And like I've actually had this issue um, come up on my like GitHub tracker recently. Somebody's like, "Hey, your shields look like placeholder art. They look, you know, they're these big pixelated things." It's like, yes, it's Minecraft. <laughs> like that's what they should look like. And you know, he doesn't agree. He's like, "Well, the the shield in the normal game." you know, looks this way, it's got a model and whatever. And my response on that is, yeah, they messed up the shield in the normal game because it looks out of place. It looks dumb and I don't like it. But yeah, it's it's weird. Like they have a certain aesthetic and every time they deviate from it, it makes it makes it worse. Um, so how long have you been modding? I mean, it's been a thermal expansion's been out for a hot minute, right? Uh, we're coming up on six years. Actually, oh, wow. have you been um, continuously kind of like workshopping and improving it that whole six years, or was it like you put it out and then didn't have to do anything else with it? Oh, it's it's definitely been it. So it's been under development. I won't say like constantly for the whole six years. Um, so. Yeah, I got my PhD, and basically that last year of doing that, yeah, I didn't really mod. That wasn't a thing. Um, <laughs> I was, I was, you were a little busy, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I was busy with other things. But um, so there's there's a feast and famine in a sense. And part of it is like you'll just get in a mood to program, and you'll feel really creative, and you'll be on top of it. And it's like strike while the iron's hot. So there have been like months where I've put out a lot of code, or I've changed a lot of stuff and added new features. And then there's been like a two month drought where it's like, I'm a little burned out on it right now. I don't want to touch it. I'll fix bugs, but I'm not going to add new stuff. Were you surprised by the response to thermal expansion? Cause it's quite, it's quite well known. I'm not like much in the modding community, but like a, 
a gentle Googling of it uh, has proven that people know about it and think it's quite, quite impressive. <laughs> uh, to a point. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised it blew up the way it did, but then it, it's also like, I put a lot of time into this. So I'd, <laughs> I'd kind of be upset if it didn't take off or hadn't gone anywhere. And it's, it's turned into, like it started as just thermal expansion and we've, we've broken it off into like separate mods now that to get the full experience, you're actually installing like five things. It's just easier to manage, but it's still all thermal expansion. It's core. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a ride. I mean, it's, it's been, uh, interesting to see how it's impacted some people like i've actually had friends like get new jobs from this uh oh, part yeah? of the team yeah so like my uh, my artist uh cynical i mean i'm you know using his, his online name um we grew up together and went to the same high school but he uh he draws it's just what he does he's a, a digital artist and he did all the textures because i can't draw at all it's just not a talent i have and um, eventually, I guess, after the Microsoft buyout um, of, of Minecraft, he got a job with them, finally, and is, is working in the actual, like, Minecraft dev now on the, like, the console and the, the Windows 10 versions and stuff, not mm -hmm. Java. That's still done in Sweden, I believe. So is he the one that you get to yell at now if the... <laughs> If the art doesn't look like it matches? Well, so um, I don't know what he's specifically been working on. I, part of that's NDA, and it's also kind of like I don't really want any details because I don't want to get in trouble there. And I, I just I, So I don't know what <laughs> You're he, a good he, friend. You're... I don't know what he may have drawn for, for Minecraft or if it's any, any of it's out yet or, or what he does. I know he's his background, he does a lot of like UI design. So maybe he's been working on that with like Minecraft VR and stuff. I don't really know. I just know that he had a really awesome digital portfolio and he's got a master's degree and he's doing really well in terms of artwork and sound design and that stuff. And he couldn't find a job. And then we wrote this really stupid little mod and he got a job from that. <laughs> so it's like, that's cool. Uh, I've got another, another friend um, who... He, uh, I met him on IRC, basically. We were introduced through a mutual acquaintance. Like, hey, you two should work together. He's another modder in the community. Um, and he changed, like, it totally changed his life. Like, he ended up going to some conferences like PAX. And he got hired on by Curse at the time, which is now mm -hmm. Twitch. So now he lives out there and works for them. I mean, it just, it totally changed. It's one of these like butterfly effect things that it's crazy to think about. But so that, that's part of why I kept on with it. And I guess that's why it's been well received is because I've kept up with updates and for the most part and keep innovating it. I mean, you have a funny story, not to brag about you, where you say that there was like a Minecraft convention and someone was asking people who the best modder was and your name got thrown into the ring. Is that right? Yeah. And I, I don't remember if that was Minecon or like, I wasn't there. It, it was funny. I was actually, I was at a friend's place in, I guess I was back in Idaho or something at that point, but I was, we were like streaming this and it was like the modding panel. 
and somebody had asked these guys like, you know, who's your favorite modder or, or honorable mentions or whatever. And like half the panel is like King Lemon. He's great. <laughs> it was really cool. And then did you have feelings at that moment? It was, it was nice. And I just, I remember, I remember my friend I was with and he's my best friend. love the guy, but he basically looks at me and he's like, we need to go to dinner while your head's still through the door. <laughs> like, All right, man. <laughs> Uh, oh that's so cute i mean that's amazing though like um to have something that you've put so much time and energy into i mean you clearly the way that you talk about it you clearly not only care about like the game itself but also making it be philosophically in line with all these other pieces that's a lot of brain power into something that you give for free <laughs> it is, yeah <laughs> to anyone who would like it pretty much but that's you know there's there's joy in the creation and it's a hobby it's just something to to occupy free time and i know objectively it's like yeah maybe i should go to the gym and it's like if i <laughs> if i spent that much time at the gym it's like yeah I'd, I'd probably be ripped at this point or i would have like dropped a weight on my face i don't know like so it, who knows but it, it's been a lot of time certainly and part of the reason I keep doing it is, is because it's impacted so many people and it's been fun. Yeah. Do you ever play the, the OG game? You know, it's funny. I don't even play the modded game. <laughs> like I, I play, like I've run the game to make sure that things I've written are correct. But in terms of actually playing Minecraft, it's been a few years. That's so funny. So like the modding itself is your game. Yeah. And th this is like a common curse with modders. A lot of us are, are just kind of, yeah, we like making the game, but then it's, do we have time to really sit down and play it? Kind of. I mean, if you start playing it, what's going to happen inevitably is you get in there and find something else that upsets you, and then you need to stop <laughs> playing again and fix it. So, so it's dangerous to play. Yeah, it's tough. It's, um, it's like uh, walking into the Lego store. Oh, God. I love Lego stores. <laughs> I want the Falcon, but I just can't justify that in any way. Like, it's, it's like I cannot... Oh. Is there anything about... I guess Appalachia, or even just... Um, we can go either way. We can go modding or Appalachia. Is there anything about those two things that you're hopeful about? Um, you can take your pick of which one you're most hopeful for. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, between, the t between the two, I'm actually going to go with Appalachia on that one because I think it's more interesting. Modding is, is fun. It's a hobby. And people should get into it because it's a way to get people into programming, especially girls. Girls should get into this uh, earlier. And mm -hmm. I think it's a way to make things more accessible. There are certain mods now that I know are more approachable. And yeah, they end up being like My Little Pony or, or Unicorns or whatever. And that's fine because it gets them interested. And, it, you know, how do I make that? And that's cool. And like, I, I like the idea that there is a My Little Pony thing on the Internet that certain subcultures have not absolutely ruined for little girls now. <laughs> I won't go beyond that. It's just, but you know, the things. As things, someone who is a My Little Pony fan, I am with you. I stand yeah. with you on that 
on that hill. Right. We'll go down, just, we'll go okay. down together. <laughs> but um, no, it's modding. I think is uh, it's a good creative outlet, and it's something people should should get into. And I'm hopeful that more people will, and that they'll learn more about how to be, you know, constructive and also not be a jerk. Because there are there are politics in Minecraft modding, and part of I think part of thermal expansion success is that I have been largely apolitical in in some of these fights where mods will come in and say we want things done a certain way, and another mod will say no, that's stupid, whatever, and I'm just like I'm not dealing with it because it's it's modder egos, and people are proud of their creations, and for some of these modders, and I'm not trying to be mean when I say this, it's like the mod is the most important thing in their life. It's their greatest accomplishment. And when I think about, you know, I've got friends that got jobs now, it's like, it's definitely up there for me. Like, I'm very proud of that. And that's been great. But I can look at my list of things that I've helped with. It's like, no, this doesn't crack top 10. <laughs> like, it's just, it's not me. It's not yeah. really who I am. It's not really a great thing I've done. But it's, I am proud of it now. So part of it is I just ignored a lot of that. And because I, I've tried to stay drama free and like help mediate and moderate that stuff, people knew of me and that helped the mod out. Um, but I guess getting back to, to Appalachia now, um, I'm hopeful that it will continue to develop, that we're going to start to see, I don't want it to be like urbanization, gentrification, that kind of thing, but on some level it's going to be. And I am a little bit hopeful of that because I feel like cities like Knoxville is, I think, about the perfect place to live. It's it's like 200,000 people. I can get anywhere in town in 20 minutes. I do need a car, right? It's not like the mass transit is solved. But for me, that's okay. And... I think more cities like this, there's a certain efficiency to having cities. I mean, you get enough amenities, you get food, you get, you know, movies and culture and things like that. And it, you can have a good life. The issue is, you know, if, if rents go way too high and people get squeezed out and you end up with something like San Francisco, Seattle, that's not good. But I think Appalachia is in a position where some of the cities that like aren't Atlanta, basically the not enormous cities are going to grow and become like these regional hubs like Roanoke up in Virginia, Knoxville, Nashville, uh, Chattanooga to an extent, because it's got really kick-ass internet. Do you think these cities are, are making it attractive? I'm, I'm thinking of my own hometown and, um, cause Asheville's becoming, I think kind of a regional hub in it some is. ways. Um, and some of the, the concern I know in that area is, how do we make sure we're attracting people who are from the area, I guess like the, the balance between getting people to move in from outside of Appalachia, but also trying to make it kind of feasible and livable for people maybe in the surrounding areas. You know, it, it's hard to do because the initial thought there is, okay, we want to change. Well, change by definition means you don't want what's already there. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it, part of that is, you initially have to pull in this, these outside resources and then you build up slowly, but then you build up the education and you build up the social services and the people that are 
nearby. I mean, hopefully we'll benefit from that and you'll retain more locals and they'll be proud of it because their city is developing and growing. And I think a lot of places we're seeing that and we're seeing that like politically there's that there's always that urban rural divide, right? That you have, it's just a lot of blue in cities and a lot of red outside. And I think that's real unfortunate. That's a totally different, yeah, it's a culture difference. Mm-hmm. And you can, I mean, clearly argue for years about why that's a thing, but the the relative populations now we're starting to see like even in the south these cities are becoming populous enough to start tipping like statewide elections and stuff these cities have huge influence and they are they're gonna matter and the way they develop is i think i'm gonna be an optimist on that because it's not a bad thing to have more you know, more development, more, more social progress in the South. And what we don't need is what Appalachia has had a lot of before. And that's having industry come in to a town, basically build it up and then abandon it when it no longer suits its needs. So something a little more organic where it develops as a whole, as a city, and not just around one industry. And I think that's what we're going to start seeing more of. Oh, that's so nice. I'm I'm thinking back to what you said about developments in Minecraft that match the aesthetic of uh, of Minecraft. I'm now like poetically applying this to your thoughts on Appalachia about <laughs> these cities that are popping up and kind of modifying the region, but hopefully this time in a way that that feels like it fits. Uh, right. I mean, you the need whole picture, like homegrown solutions on this one. It's not. You can't simply drop in like like the amazon hq right like all the cities in the south that applied for it i kind of looked at that and thought that's not a good thing like that's that's going to turn into yeah you get amazon you get all these jobs but there's all these tax breaks you're going to push everybody else out you're going to raise the rents too much i don't know if that's healthy i'm not sure if knoxville applied and i seem to i was just glad that i know we weren't mentioned anywhere in the follow-up articles did they um did did they determine a place where that would go? I think they've narrowed it down, but I don't think they've, they've like settled on one. Um, yeah, I talked about this, I think, briefly with Dr. Cat, but this whole idea of uh, tech and the way that tech and Appalachia are um, beginning to kind of talk to each other. I know in my, my home region, we're starting to get a bunch of these like data center type things. Um yeah, so like and- being fearful of tech companies kind of coming in and doing the same thing that you just said, like coming in and having an impact that maybe isn't sustainable or right. matching kind of uh, the population that already exists there. Right. And it's it's one of these things you have to organize it like the money needs to come through the municipalities and the counties and stuff. And you actually have to to focus on let's help the people living here and not try and get a tech giant to parachute in. Because it, it's nice. I mean, that's cool if you want to get companies to, you know, to build up there. And I get that you have to make yourself attractive, but it's it's a different process. It's, I guess, bottom-up versus top-down. Again, I'm not really a city planner. I don't do anything <laughs> in government. But it's just kind of my thoughts on it. Like, if you just improve 
living, things kind of keep building on that. Mm-hmm. Like if you make your town a not terrible place to be, then people will want to be there. <laughs> and companies, like you get enough employees saying, hey, I want to live in not terrible place. So can you move my terrible job to not terrible place? That'd be great. Thanks. <laughs> and, and especially now with the internet, right? You, like I telecommute. My job's in Seattle. And they fly me everywhere, so whatever. I just work remote, and we're going to see more of that too. And as long as you've got internet, at least in the major like kind of hubs in Appalachia, it's it's going to be good for the region. But it's always the last mile problem. Like if somebody's really out in the sticks, they're not getting broadband. Uh well, Gerald. As always, um, I'm super. I feel very lucky that you actually came on my show. You're super interesting, and I. I feel delighted that you spent so much time talking to me today. So thank you. Yeah, you're absolutely. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And also, if you play Minecraft, try a thermal expansion. If you don't, well, start playing Minecraft. But- oh, yes, please do. And um, follow follow Gerald. He's your Twitter at King Lemming. Is that right? Uh, King Lemming, C-O-F-H. C-O-F-H. Awesome. Cool. Mm-hmm. And I will put all those in the show notes for you to go track down Gerald. Awesome. And listeners, please let me know your history with mods, actually. I did not grow up really playing around with them, and I've recently found out a bunch of my friends are super into them. And so now I'm really curious about other people's experience with mods, modifications, game hacking, anything like that. Cool. And we will see you next time on Gaming Broadcast. Bye! joke growing up actually like the place we lost cell reception consistently there was like a sign like right on the road and it said welcome to virginia's technology corridor (laughs) just like bam lost the cell connection like really (laughs) oh my god speaking of dysfunctional (laughs) right oh yeah (laughs) oh that's so funny